time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe for Friday, April 16th, 2021. Thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast as we have new episodes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, I wanted to give you guys some heads up as to some changes that are going on here at the podcast. Uh, this clip right now is not going to be on the YouTube portion of our podcast, but in moving forward, Everything should be uh, one big video similar to the audio that you hear here uh, on the podcast, uh, wherever you listen to our podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and many other platforms, of course. So um, some changes, minor changes, of course, to the podcast upcoming that I'm very excited about just to enable to kind of blend audio and video together so that it is, in fact, just one uh, similar, same uh, episode. You get the same content whether you listen to it or you watch it on YouTube. And uh, greatly appreciate those people who have subscribed to the YouTube channel, who have um, watched the videos there. It does seem that there is an audience for that. So we're going to continue to do that. Uh, let me tell you about our guest today. Today, you will hear from Mike McGarren. Uh, I knew Mike as the uncle of my good friend, Devin Drain, and uh, an uncle to all the, the Drain kids, of course. The Brother to Mara Drain, who grew up more McGarren, and the brother-in-law of, uh, of course, Mr. Ken Drain. So Mike McGarren joins us, and Mike went to Rio Hondo Prep back in '78, played in the 1977 championship football game that you guys have heard about before, the triple overtime thriller uh, against Montclair Prep. But today we're going to talk to Mike about some of his uh, journey uh, along the lines in. Um, in comedy, he did some stand-up comedy. He's done some voiceovers. He has done some uh, some acting as well. Uh, he's a physical therapist, and on top of all of that, on top of all the different stage things he's done and and audio and everything, uh, doing voices and coming up with these characters and everything. On top of all that, Mike decided kind of later in life to become a volunteer police officer in uh, Pasadena. So a lot to talk about with Mike. Uh, I I knew Mike McGarren. I never really chatted with him before. He always ran the the circus at Care Youth League back when they did circuses. He was the MC. He'd do all six shows, uh, the master of ceremonies and everything, and and using his creativity there. So uh, you will hear about all that today from Mike McGarren, and it was an absolute privilege to sit down and chat with him. I, I appreciate Devin Drain, my good friend, suggesting uh, Mike McGarren and setting it up. So uh, Mike was very gracious to sit down with me, and I and I really do appreciate it. You guys are going to have a great time listening to this, let me tell you. Not just the Care Youth League folks, but everyone out there. Mike is very clever. He's going to give us some impressions. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear from <laughs> his impressions were pretty funny. had me laughing quite a bit, too. So anyway, a lot of summer trip memories, just a great conversation here. And so in saying that, I do want to say that as part of the podcast, my goal as of now, as, you know, I've had a lot of goals, a lot of ideas that some have worked, some have not. My plan for now is that 
uh, on Wednesdays when I'm joined by my good friend Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. I jo- he's joined me every single week, um, a retired police officer. We are going to put out a video like we, you've seen the past two weeks. In general, you know how this podcast works. I usually talk for 5, 10, maybe even 20 minutes before the, the interview. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that altogether and just go straight into our interview with our guests because I think that's what people tune in for. So on Wednesdays, it'll go straight to me and Bill. And on Fridays, uh, it will go straight to me and that guest. Today's the the exception. Probably the last time we'll do this. Um, again, this could all not work out. I might have to make announcements or something, but I figure if I have anything to announce, I can do that on social media and, and you know, publishing, uh, information b- before, uh, podcasts are, are released and this and that. So I do have our little commercial at the end regarding our social media platforms and places and uh, ways to follow the podcast that will come at the end of episodes on YouTube. It will be a video clip kind of attached that you can uh, click on. If, if for those of you who've been loyal listeners for some reason, forget our social media platforms and things like that. Anyway, just some housekeeping things I want to let you guys know about. So Mondays is kind of, that's all me. Mondays is just me in front of the camera, uh, in front of the microphone talking for about an hour. And it it might even, I may make it less from here on out. I don't know. Uh, You gotta, we gotta see what happens. Uh, but that's just kind of the plan. Mondays, I will save up all of my energy, save up all of my little analogies that I come up with, all the little experiences that you know I'm, I'm on the road or in the grocery stores and all the little things that happen to me. I'm going to save all that up for Mondays. And of course, we also will have a sports recap, we'll talk some boxing, some baseball, whatever is the case, maybe some hockey. And I'll also uh, have our Suds with Studs segment where we honor a, a hero, someone in law enforcement or the military. Uh, just a brief five, 10 minutes where we talk about somebody. So that's the plan for Mondays. And then Wednesdays, you know that, and then Fridays. But but again, I'm going to try to avoid this five, 10 minutes of me rambling and save all of that, bottle it all up for Monday so that I have a nice hour or so to talk. And and then therefore, the Wednesdays with Bill, that's all Bill. It's about an hour, 15, hour, hour and a half. And with our guests, it's all that podcast. I know people's time is valuable. So I want to try to keep the podcast under an hour and a half if possible. So that's the plan in moving forward. But again, I always encourage you guys, follow the social media platforms. Give us a like. Give us a follow on uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a rating if you'd like. Uh, but also continue to interact with us. We, we appreciate the the emails, the questions. I love getting those. And also the uh, if voice message. You know, I know I ha- that hasn't happened a whole lot maybe – some people don't want to hear, have their voice heard, but man, by all means, send in a voice message. You can you can see in the episode notes of every episode, there's a way to click, and it's really simple. Leave a voice message to the podcast, whether it be a question or a hello or whatever. It'd be great to hear other voices on this podcast besides mine. Well, today you're going to hear a few voices from one guy, and that is Mike McGarren. Uh, just an absolute pleasure to chat with, and I asked him uh, on Thursday about his last name, just confirming the spelling. And and I asked him as somebody who has had many different pronunciations of my name, uh, yeah, what if he, if he was called Mike McGarn, he's like, Oh yeah, it was called Mike McGarn and uh, Mike, uh, you know, Magarin and all, <laughs> all kinds of funny names, but no, it is Mike McGarren and uh, a proud Irishman. I'll let him tell you all about that. You guys are really going to enjoy this. Happy Friday to everybody out there. And uh, please enjoy this Latest episode of the Get Home Safe podcast with Mike McGarren. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, today I am joined by Mike McGarren. He is from the class of 1978 at Rio Hondo Prep, played in the infamous championship game in 1977. Uh, as someone who grew up with his nephew, Devin Drain, I often heard of Uncle Mike. Yeah, Uncle Mike's great. He's so funny. He's so hilarious. Uh, obviously, the brother-in-law to Rio Hondo Prep head coach, Ken Drain. Uh, a lot of stories to talk about with Mike McGarren here. He has work in voiceover. He's been an MC at circuses. Uh, I don't know where to start, but let's just welcome him first. Mike McGarren, welcome to the program. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you know, Mike, you have a lot of uh, expectations to live up to because my <laughs> entire life, oh man, my Uncle Mike is the, the greatest. And then seeing you firsthand run a few circuses uh, for Rio Hondo Prep or Carrie uh, Uthley at the Rose Bowl and such. Right. Uh, you know, I saw firsthand. Looks like, okay, he's he's pretty goofy. Got a sense of humor. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. I, en I enjoy doing that. I, you know, it's it's funny. I'm very introvertish and shy. If I was to go somewhere with a group of people, you'd see me in the corner. I would not initiate conversation. I wouldn't talk to people. But when you're out there doing stand-up, which I've done, and emceeing circuses, you're a you're a character so it's not you personally it's not your person that they're liking or not liking it's the character you're portraying <clears throat> and i found that to be a lot easier not that i didn't get nervous but once you get that first laugh it's as close to heaven on earth that i've ever been to really okay it's it's really interesting because do you know i'm kind of that way too i sit in the corner i'm not nearly as as funny as you are but just kind of let things come to me. And do you think that because you're kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, shy, laid back, introverted, that because you do that, that's where kind of ideas build up and just kind of, you're able to kind of piece them all together because you're kind of a little reserved. I think, I think part of it is that because you, you observe people and, and mannerisms and things. I always, you know, when I start voiceover, I, I, even before that, I always was listening to dialects and accents, and um, and it helped me to develop characters. And I would play around with those voices if I was, you know, like like babysitting the kids or something like that. So, I think I think part of it is true. I think some people like to be in front of people because they they have. I guess that ego that they want people to see and hear them. And for me, it, it didn't come from that. For me, it was more like if I could make someone laugh and for a split second, not think about something that's bothering them or that's weighing on them and divert their attention for that time, that's to me priceless. Mm -hmm. So I, I use my comedy a lot with my patients as a physical therapist at the houses I go to. So I think I think, yeah, I think part of it is that if you're shy and introverts and you, and you see most comedians have that aspect of them, I think too. Well, I'm a huge stand-up comedy fan and I love the art form that it is because it is something that is not easy. And what's interesting about comedy is that you don't have to make things up really. Real life is almost the funniest part of it all, you know? Very true. Yeah, it all comes, I mean, I, most of the stories I, I say to my patients and stuff are based on real, real situations. And I think, I think that's really true. I mean, I think every comedian takes a part of who they are, their personality and their experiences. And, and I think that that's what makes it more human, more relatable to people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and are there sometimes you talk about getting that laugh 
and that being just a great feeling. Are there yeah. times where maybe uh, you don't get the laugh and does that kind of knock you down a peg? Yeah. So, so I used to do stand up at Santa Monica Improv, The Laugh Stop, uh, other places. And I met Ray Combs. And this is an old name. Years ago, Ray Combs was on Family Feud, the first Family Feud. He also was the first person to actually have Johnny Carson call him up after he did stand up and sit with him on stage. But he also worked with Seinfeld. And one of the things he said that Seinfeld would do is he would go to these clubs with a tape recorder and he would record what he would say, how long it took him to say something and time how long the laughs were. And his focus was to speak less and have them laugh more. And he would work on his craft to where he'd say a whole setup and get a laugh and then just a little bit more and get a little more laugh and a little bit more and then even more of a laugh. And they really worked it to where it seemed like it was just off the cuff, but it was very, very meticulous and very rehearsed in Seinfeld's case. Even with Robin Williams, the same kind of thing. It sounded like it was off the cuff, but a lot of it was things that he had planned. So when I did these tours, it was kind of funny because my routine was basically the same. And you can say the same joke one night at a different club and get tons of laughter, do the same thing, same time, tempo, everything, and get a different response. Still laugh, but just not the same. <laughs> and it always tickled me because these, these guys that were trying to come up through the ranks would say, you know, this audience is so stupid. They're just not getting my stuff. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> Let me just be honest. I didn't say it because I didn't want to be mean, but I'm like, you know, dude, I've heard your same stuff five nights at five different clubs and no one's laughing. So the only thing consistent is you. It has nothing to do, you know, with the audience. And, you know, it's, it's not that easy when you have a routine because once you step in front of that audience, a lot of people go blank or they have, you know, that stage right? And I remember one particular time a guy says, I am going to knock this. Everybody thinks I'm hilarious. This is going to be so wait till you hear my stuff. Oh boy. He goes out. We're in the green room sitting there hoping this guy is going to do well. He says a joke, crickets, nothing. You don't hear anything. And then you hear for about a minute, dead silence. This guy completely went blank. It was like watching someone get beat up and you can't help them. And it was just <laughs> It was one of the worst things. You just hear the silence and you, you, you don't know what's going on out there, but you just know the guy's just like, you know, trying to figure out. And he just walked off the stage. I, I wasn't the next guy, but I could just see the next guy going, oh, great. He really warmed him up for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, was, it, was, it was fun. But, but the thing is with comedy, and I, and I talked to a guy, I said, I said, you do this for a living? He goes, yeah. And I go, how much do you make? He goes, oh, about 40000 or so. He goes, but the frustrating part is <clears throat> people that are above me, that headline or partial headline that are warm up for the headliner, take my stuff and they take it as their own. So there's a lot of stealing that was going on. <clears throat> and you would say, well, that's not your stuff. I'm, I'm ahead of you. Why would I take your stuff? But it does happen quite a bit. And so it's frustrating when someone's coming up that's actually good. People will time take their stuff. Oh, that's fascinating. That's that's so interesting. Um, wow. Ha have you... I mean, we're, we're kind of on comedy here to start, but like, have yeah. you, do you, like, I've heard com comedians talk about, you have certain jokes where, okay, generally here's the direction it goes, but maybe there's different roads with that joke that you can take, take it in different directions, depending on 
the reaction from the audience or whatever, instead of just being straight, here's the joke, here's how I'm saying it. Well, I think, I think one thing when I went to a comedy, I think it was a workshop, they talked about Andrew Dice Clay. And Andrew Dice Clay is very off-colored. He's uh, very aggressive. He's vulgar. And he gave the example of him saying, know your audience. Know what the demographics are, what they like, what they don't like, <clears throat> the situation you're in. He said, Andrew Dice Clay was a headliner, made a lot of money. But he said, I went to see him perform, and this audience was having nothing of the type of humor that he had. And he kept pounding it at him and he would not adjust or change what he said or how he said it. I think when you're a clean comedian and a clever comedian, you can get that through to any audience. And I, and I, and I think, you know, it's about reading the audience, finding out what doesn't work and making the right adjustments. And if you can't do that, you're not going to be as effective. No, that's, that's really interesting because I've, kind of made that observation with different comedians. I've heard some, you know, foul mouth, dirty comedians, but and sure. then some clean, clean guys. And one of my observations is, okay, people that like dirty jokes are also going to like clean jokes, but the people yes. who like clean jokes aren't going to necessarily like dirty jokes. So for the clean comedians, as they're termed, I think they have a bigger challenge, but also a bigger reward. I think so. I think so too. I think, you know, for me, by and large, my son will show me comedians and stuff like that. I would say one out of 10 or 15 actually make me laugh or chuckle. Mm -hmm. Most of it's just like amusing, but you know, it really takes something to put things in a way that that's hilarious. It's not <laughs> as easy as people think, you know, and, uh, and it is, it is something that you, you have to constantly, I think, work on, you know, but oh, it's, yeah. it's a front process. I mean, I, I, I don't do stand up anymore. I stopped the voiceover because my, my job's too much. But again, I get to do stand up when I go into a patient's home. I'm doing stand up right there. Yeah. And I'm yeah. Cracking jokes and playing around all the time. <laughs> so, and it, you know, humor helps heal. Oh, absolutely. And when we could have all used a little more humor this, uh, this past year, of course. So yes. we were looking for it wherever we could. Um, uh, I heard a great clean comic recently, Nate Bargatze. He had a Netflix special. He was, he was spectacular. And I was laughing so hard thinking, man, he did, he didn't swear the whole time. There was, <laughs> oh, that was, that was so funny. So there is a, there is a, uh, what am I saying? An audience for it. And I, oh, yeah. again, I think uh, those guys, it's even more challenging and they do a great job. Uh, well, how did that work with comedy? Did you just, did you carry on a notepad? Did you go home at night and go on the computer, right? Did, did things just come to you? How did you formulate a, a, a uh, an act? Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes what it would be is I, I would have a notepad by my bed and I would uh, wake up in the middle of the night and write stuff down mm -hmm. and, uh, and kind of perfect it. And I tried in front of an audience. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, you, there's a lot of things that come to your mind and yeah, I, that's mainly how I would do it. A lot of times I would just do it under pressure, like emceeing a circus. I would, I would, I would be in pressure enough to make something funny and figure out what kind of character I'm going to do and how I'm going to say it. But a lot for me, since I'm ADHD, a lot of it pops into my head. Mm. So I did a, uh, a Xbox 360 game called Lost Odyssey, where I played Jansen Freed, which was a, a comedic character. 
And when I went to the audition, I didn't know there was a guy in Japan because it was basically from Japan that this was done. It was in uh, Italy, Germany, Japan, and here. And when I auditioned, I just started making stuff up. And so I got the job just by ad living. So a lot of times things just pop into my head and I go with it. And, and so, especially in that recording, they would say, you know, you've got 10 seconds, make something up. And <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that I just ad libbed. And if you listen to the, the, uh, the game or you play the game, it's a role-playing game. You'll hear, you're like, that wasn't scripted, <laughs> you know? Wow. So that's when I had the most fun. You know, they had me do like uh, Michelangelo and I just started doing this, you know, Italian guy, you know, you know, this is another problem. I was doing a ceiling like this. And, uh, you know, the nicest thing about a penicillin is when your nose is a running like a mine always runs. I got to allergies all over the place. I'm allergic to everything that moves. But when you're painting a ceiling, you're looking up and the stuff just doesn't run out of your nose. It just goes right back up into your head. So then I... That's why I painted the ceiling. I was going to paint something on the wall, but I had these stupid allergies. So I just thought, you know what? I can only do this if I'm a painting on the ceiling because I'm going to spread my snot all over the place. So, you know, stuff like that just pops into your head and then you just go with it. <laughs> and it's great. You know, it's not rehearsed. You just kind of make your way. Right. And I enjoy stuff like that. Wow. Wow. That is great. Well, we've got a lot to cover, a lot to get to. Sure, sure, sure. sure we'll come back to comedy and, and voiceovers and everything. Um, and, and I kind of have a feeling some of this maybe started in Care Youth League with summer trips and such. Absolutely. Let's, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, you and Maura Drain, Maura McGarry, yes. back then. And was it just you two guys? Yeah, as far as my parents told me, we were the only two kids. I don't know if they had others, but that's all we were taught. Yeah. Um, now, my sister joined before me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was this little asthmatic kid. So I joined after her and I was nine when I joined. So I had extremely bad asthma at night. I couldn't sleep. I'd have to sit up. Uh, I could if they cut grass or any dust, I was. I was always, when we would run for practices after the grass was mowed, I'd be in the very back with the really out of shape kids running. I'd be the skinny one, but I couldn't get any breath. So for me and my mom, she's like, he needs to do athletics because of his asthma. And oh. so I was kind of thrown into it. And I, the first, first sport I joined was football <clears throat> and I was scared of myself. So people had helmets and pads and hitting each other. <laughs> and true story, I didn't want any part of it. You know, so I remember Mr. Francis getting so mad at me. He said, McGarry, you got to get in there. And he literally picked me up by the back of my pants, by my shoulder pads, and threw me in a play. <laughs> so the ball was snapped. The runner was coming. All, all of a sudden, I'm airborne, and I totally cleaned this kid out because Mr. Francis threw me at the kid. <laughs> and so that was, that was my first tackle. Love it. First of many, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah 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 got the hang of it later but yeah rough a little more rap technique later on right that is so funny <laughs> that's right mr france I, I don't know why i could picture this whole scene and him and Mr. yeah him and mr philip would get into arguments all the time in baseball they would just start arguing so we just get off the field sit on the bench and let them argue 
because they would just go off on each other. He's safe. He's out. He's safe. He's out. Look it. You don't know what you're talking about. And it was really hilarious with those guys. Yeah. Most like brothers, huh? <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. So now uh, you and Maura joined the program and, it, you know, for sports. So did you eventually fall in love with sports at, at least, you know, maybe not football because you were scared, but did you enjoy the other sports? Is that what kind of made your KYL experience uh, beneficial to you? Yeah, I, I would say my favorite sport all during my career was baseball. I was left-handed. So I played first base and I pitched. I remember pitching. In fact, it's in one of the interleaguers. It was 102 and I had like 13 strikeouts. So as a pitcher, that's what I really loved. And I, I couldn't really hit the ball, but I was fast. I remember one of my first highlights as a kid, and I must have been nine or 10, I bunted and got a home run. <laughs> so let me just explain that because it doesn't make sense. I bunted the ball. They, I ran to first and they threw it over the first baseman's head. So I ran to second and they threw it over his head, ran to third, and then I threw it over his head and then I ran home. So <laughs> round tripper, man, round tripper, great yes. stuff. Uh, so what was, uh, look at, I know uh, Mrs. Drain, as I'll call her, as this uh, wonderful, uh, very kind always smiling, uh, you know, mother of five. And right. uh, I mean, what was she like as, uh, as your sister back in the day, okay. you two growing up? Feel free to edit this as you need to. <laughs> <laughs> we were not the best of friends. Okay. <laughs> Let's put it this way. A <laughs> couple of times we did, you know, work together. Uh, one was we're going to run away. Okay. All right. So we packed our suitcases and we ran away. We made it all the way to the back steps and sat there with the suitcase, figuring out our next move. And then we thought this probably wasn't thought out. Well, probably should go back home because it's dinner and we're hungry. <laughs> um, so that was one. But the the my favorite story with Mara is she's like, um, hey, Michael, I go, what? There was a Mayflower market and she goes, we're going to steal candy. I'm like, OK, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be the lookout and you take the candy. Okay. <laughs> so she's looking down the aisles, looking down the aisles. She gives me the heads up. I take a fistful of candy. It's in my pockets. We get in the car. I don't know why they wrap candy with the loudest rappers in the world, but I was trying to undo them quietly. And it's just like, and my mom's like, what's that back there? Nothing. <laughs> Sounds like candy. No, it's not. Where'd you get it? Nowhere. And then she looks back. She goes, did you steal candy? Maybe. All right, that's it. We're going right back. So she marches me in. My sister's not saying a word. She marches me in. She says, where's the manager? And I'm like, and she's like, the manager's like in the checkout counter. Of course, when you go, everybody's looking at you. <laughs> There's, it's not like you're the only one in the store. So there's like 20 people. And she goes, you have something you want to tell the guy? Sorry, sir. I stole some candy. He's like, well, you're going to do it again? No. He goes, Okay. And then I, I got out of there. So that's one story. The other story is we were playing in my mom's car. And I trying to remember who was in the driver's seat. I think I was and my sister put the lever into neutral, which would have been fine if we weren't on a hill. <laughs> so our driveways on a little bit of a hill, and it starts rolling towards the garage 
So I look at my sister, what, and she's out of the car already. So I'm by myself. So quick thinking, I get out of the car, I grab the bumper, and I'm going to stop this car. So I'm skiing now behind the bumper, sliding. Thank goodness the garage door was open. And I'm thinking at least, okay, we'll just glide in the garage. And so we glide in the garage. Unfortunately, it didn't quite stop. And the back wall of the garage, the car hit it and went like that. (laughs) So I got into trouble. And of course, my sister was off scot-free. Well, that sounds to be the theme there. Uh, I do. I will say with the the, the stealing candy story, you got, you got a good mom. That that's a good oh, mom move there. That's spectacular. I, I can't take a paperclip now without feeling guilty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, oh. but, but then when we got high school, we became really good friends. My my sister and I, we got friends. We had a bit of a fight in junior high where she hit me and I I hit her back, which I'd never done in my life, and she was just like ran to my mom and I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going to lose. I'm going to get my finger cut off or something. This is horrible. (laughs) And nothing happened. Nothing happened. I thought, I think my mom must've known that my sister and I had this. And she just said, well, it's Mara's turn to get it. So (laughs) we were good friends after that. Oh, that's. And I forgot one other thing. She fed me a snail when I was a toddler. Oh, yeah. And I was crunching on it. My mom took it out of my mouth. So other true story. Oh, wow. I think, yeah. So any other sister brothers <laughs> questions you got? <laughs> this is great to come. This is the nice lady that we see in the office down at Care Youth League now when you walk down there and she's feeding her brother's yeah. snails and selling them out to dry. Wow, Mrs. Yeah. Drain, brutal yeah. stuff. Oh, that is so I'm funny. sure she has stories about me. I know I wasn't the best brother. Oh, I'm hey. sure I was horrible. I'm sure you were wonderful <laughs> so you guys go into real hondo prep and how what's the age difference in you two uh, a year to a year and a half okay gotcha <laughs> so she's a year older than me and i always let her know that oh so, yeah <laughs> of course of course well, that's what so, do. so you get into real hondo prep and you you were really surrounded with some really great guys uh great teammates uh in, in your your high school years there I mean, I, I will mention names, but I'll forget names. I mean, sure. uh, Gary Shintaku, Mike Murphy, Chuck Mariotti. Uh, you, you actually told me you heard uh, Craig Klingman. You heard his podcast yeah. recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been trying to get a hold of Craig. I got to get his number. But yeah, I got stories about every one of them. Mike Murphy, this guy passed a whole year of English his senior year in a week. What? He is so brilliant. I remember going to college with him. And he had one piece of notebook paper and a pencil. (laughs) And I never saw him write on that piece of paper. And the guy would get A's. I went through, I I took the geometry final so many times as a senior, I memorized the answers. (laughs) And Mike Murphy would just hear something and it would be locked in forever. He was brilliant. He is brilliant. Wow. No wonder he went into teaching. Yeah. <laughs> he became such a great teacher. That's all that is. Probably awesome. say, why do these kids know stuff? Why do they have, why do they have to take notes? I yeah. never did. What's so hard about this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott Weidman, Jim Hanna. Yeah. Um, Greg Bollinger was a little younger than you guys, but he played in that younger. big championship game. Yeah. Um, I, I know I forget names here, but uh, yeah, Craig Klingman, we talked about. Ken and, Fuller, uh, Chuck Mariotti. Ken Fuller. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, Doug, I really. Doug Walsh. Doug Walsh, Dr. Walsh. I mean, what yep. a football player he was, right? Yeah, he scared me. <laughs> and Craig, and Craig's absolutely right when he says practice were just horrible. 
because I mean, I look forward to the games. That was, that was dessert because practice was like, you just wanted to, you wanted to survive practice because mm -hmm. Ken Fuller and Chuck Mariotti, those guys didn't play. And Brian Kyle, as, as, as uh, Craig mentioned, that guy was tough, man. So mm -hmm. yeah, our practices were just crazy hard. You know, I, I played every play pretty much unless I was hurt. Uh, and uh, we had to because we didn't have anyone to go in for us, you know, so you you had to be in top physical shape, you know, and Craig mentioned the freshman year we were the, the, the most fit losers of the league. <laughs> uh, I learned at one game to just stay down because everybody was like junior varsity or varsity so I got knocked down sometimes three times in one play. And I thought, you know what? I'm just staying down until the whistle blows because I'm just getting killed. <laughs> so, so you went. It was from, fun. Fun times. You went from starting football as a kid and not and kind of being really passive and not liking it. Did you still have the similar feeling in high school, or did you kind of buy into it a little bit more? So my junior year, we played in the semifinals. Okay. And I was, I played split end, Greg Loomis, Dan Kirby, Peter Amundsen, those guys I played with. And I was, I was really young and I was scared. Um, so I played split end and we would do a lot of, uh, I'd get the ball and I'd pass it to Greg Loomis. I actually got my ribs broken that semifinal. I caught a pass and I got a helmet right in the ribs. So I did not have fun. My senior year, because I graduated when I was 17. So my senior year, that was the most fun I had because I was big enough to cause some damage and I was no longer afraid. Unfortunately, I had a real bad foot that felt like it was broken. So my right foot, we couldn't figure out what was wrong. I actually had to tape it like a cast and I was in constant pain whenever I ran or stepped on it. And so I had to basically limp my way through most of the senior year when I played football. Wow. Well, I, I tried to get kind of some info out of Craig and he's, you know, such a kind and uh, nice guy. Uh, yes. But what were some of your team, you mentioned a few already and kind of, we all knew the men that they became, but what were they like as high school guys? Some of these guys you played with just in general, I mean, what are some, some little, uh, I don't know how you would label some of these guys if you had to. Well, um, Craig and John Crescione and I, Every lunch, we would practice extra points. We'd eat as fast as we could and practice extra points. So the three of us, lunch times, we'd always work together for the longest time. I would say, you know, something about sports and football, especially, it's almost like you're in a war and there's, and you're, and you really watch either, each other's backs and you really work towards a common goal. You know, and you we mentioned Randall Johnson before we started here, but I mean, we were none of us were all stars. You know, the real definition of a team is taking a bunch of mediocre guys and making something great to where everyone can contribute in a way that you succeed. And that's really, in a nutshell, everyone in our class. There were no egos. Everybody worked together and wanted each of us and ourselves to be the best we could be, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and Randall Johnson, you know, made that happen our senior year. 
Yes, absolutely. It's I've heard so many accounts of that. And, you know, people got to remember that, sure, the team had won in 73, a six-man title, but Rio had never won at this time an eight-man championship. So it wasn't like Rio had this great tradition established yet. You guys were still kind of uh, sticking the flag in the ground for the program in, in some way. So did you guys kind of feel that, especially being so close in 76? Yeah, definitely. Cause, cause when, well, when Mr. Johnson came to coach us, we had another coach that we liked and we're thinking we we're going to have. And I remember sitting on the bleachers and Mr. Johnson saying, you know, some of you guys may not be happy with me being your coach. Um, I know you were thinking about someone else, and I just want you to know that I'm going to do the best I can by you guys. And I, I remember that vividly that we were like, I don't, I, we didn't really want this guy to coach us. <laughs> and wow, such a brilliant mind, him, Mr. Oric, Mr. Lunny. I mean, they were just brilliant. I mean, the way they could take us together. I remember Mr. Johnson saying, Hey, McGarren, um, I need you to play center your senior year i'm like okay i've not done that and he goes i know but i think that's where we need you to be for us to be best as a team and then you're going to be nose guard and i've always i always punted i was always was a punter when i played football but um but but he would just say stuff like that and you're like okay i'll do it you know he just brought that i i'll never forget we were in a baseball game and mr johnson pulled me aside says uh mcgarren i go yeah he goes, I need a hit. Can you get a hit for me? I'm like, okay, sure. He never asked me that before or after. I get up to plate and I got a hit. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know why he asked me then. Yeah. I don't know why I said, yeah, but it just happened. And he was just magical. The guy was just magical. And we go on summer trips. This guy knew every highway, every campground. <laughs> I mean, he was just like an encyclopedia yeah just amazing oh all three of them so influential in in real honda prep football and to see them and you know they've all passed on passed away uh, now but uh, yeah just it's great hearing the stories about them and you know mike i gotta tell you now not many guys go from wide receiver slash punter to center <laughs> nose guard my friend <laughs> yeah yeah i think i was all league all cif as a center um but yeah that was not my intention um <laughs> Yeah, it's just, you know, you do what you're told to do, right? Yeah, you literally got thrown into a pile as yeah. a kid, and now you're yeah. in the middle of the pile every play on both yeah. sides yeah. of the ball. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved blocking for Scott Weidman and our running backs, and I just had a blast. And nose guard was really, really fun. I didn't play linebacker much because I couldn't read a play worth anything. <laughs> so if I ever played linebacker, it's like, okay, McGarry, you're linebacker, you're going to rush. Okay, I can do that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, because I couldn't think. <laughs> I remember JV, I played quarterback for a brief moment. I remember Mr. Johnson, I was rolling out to do a pass, and Matt Rodericks was in the end zone all by himself. But there was nothing between me and the end zone. And Mr. Johnson's like saying, run it, run it, run it. And I just hauled off and threw it. And he's like, what are you doing? And then Matt caught in the end zone. He goes, great job you know but I, I just couldn't think you know i i had to be you got to tell me what to do and i'll do it you know but yeah yeah hey there, there's something to be said for that uh, definitely yeah. so we, we can't talk about the 77th season sure. uh, without talking about the championship game 
and the infamous play uh, being yeah. the center, you know, you were, you started this whole thing, Rio's down by seven late in the fourth and they, they run a play where you, you snap the ball through the quarterback's legs to the running back. He runs for a touchdown. You tie the game with a Klingman extra point. Uh, but let's go back kind of before that, before all that, kind of the buildup to that. When did this kind of come come to you guys in practice? And did you think Mr. Johnson was nuts or did you guys come up with this play? So it we called it a sneak 84. I'm not sure why, uh, but that's what we called it. I think, and I don't want to give the wrong person credit. I think it might've been Doug Walsh. It was some, one of us came up with it. And so, yeah, basically we sneak 84 and every once in a while in practice, we'd, we'd just run it. Okay, sneak 84. And so the way it was set up is everyone, you know, I hiked it through Scott Weidman's legs. Chuck Mariotti was in the, in the back, fullback, and everyone was going to yell fumble. So that was basically the play. We hike it, everybody yells fumble and goes to the center looking for the ball, which hopefully misdirects the defense to where they suck in so Chuck can run around the end. So that game, he came out and came to the huddle and said, Mr. Johnson's calling a sneak 84. And I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, I really want to look through Scott Wyman's legs to make sure I hike it where it's supposed to go. But I thought, shoot, if I do that, they might get onto it. So I can't look, I can't look, I better not look. So I thought, you know what, God, okay, I'm just going to hike it. I hope I don't screw this up because we only have one chance. So I don't look, I hike, we yell fumble. The next thing I know, Chuck's in the end zone. And I saw in the film that my hike was really low, which was probably the best place it could have been because no one from the defense could see it. Uh, <laughs> and so they didn't know that it got to Chuck. They just assumed it was a fumble. And it was just enough of a misdirection that they couldn't catch him in time. And of course he dove into the end zone. So all by design uh, there, Mike, snapping it nice and low, just off the grass. Uh, how many times did you have to practice that yep. before you felt comfortable with it? And I mean, snapping it through someone's legs is not easy. Right. So we would actually do a play where I would snap it through Weidsman's leg to someone in a shotgun position. Mm -hmm. So I'd actually hike it. And the way I would do it is instead of hiking it through my legs, I would take the ball and hike it around my back to the guy in the shotgun position. So I could pretty much hike the ball any which way I wanted to. Uh, but in terms of when you feel comfortable doing that, never. <laughs> because it's just, it's just not something that is routine, right? There's mm -hmm. no, you know, hiking it through your legs without looking. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> that's just what happened. <laughs> so. Well, well, you executed it, uh, Chuck, with the great run there. You guys won in triple overtime. And I've asked Mike Murphy, I've asked Craig Klingman. Yeah. I mean, what, what was it like when, when you guys were champions? You guys had finally done it. Was it this huge weight off your shoulders? What was that feeling like, even though it's been, man, uh, for a long time ago? <laughs> yeah, you know, we played them preseason. You know, we played them in the beginning of the season. And I, uh, we lost, of course. And that championship game, the, the game, the, the, the game before I got tons of tackles, I was probably one of my better games, but the championship game, I was double teamed pretty much the whole time. I was pretty much not effective on defense. 
However, Mike Murphy had one of his best games ever, mm-hmm. and it opened him up to getting quite a few tackles. Uh, they were good. What surprised me is they had certain plays that would guarantee yardage that they didn't use during the overtimes. And I never understood why, but, you know, I would liken it to like hitting a grand slam in a world series. You know, this is something you dream about, you know, winning your senior year when the other team hired a professional film crew to film them beating us. They were that sure they had three times as many players, better players, bigger players. It was really a David and Goliath and to win in triple overtime. I mean, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. It was, it was something that I'll never, ever forget. It's one of the highlights of, of my life, I would say. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And, you know, every time I go in that, uh, well, the new, the new gym at Rio, I always look at the banners and I look at the names and I just, uh, no matter what year it is, I kind of bounce around and it's just, it's so fun to, to look back and to think of the excitement for everybody. Now, now um, I played with Devin in, te- in 2001. Did you get to go to that championship game when Devin was in high school? I did. Um, is that the one you guys lost? No, in uh, we won in overtime. It was eerily similar to the whole. Where Mont- was that? It was at Carefield. It was at Carefield. Joshua Springs, they brought the whole city, the whole town. They were undefeated. You know what? I did, I did miss that game. Okay. I did miss that game. Nope. I did see one of Devin's games um, where I think it was a playoff and one of your quarterbacks just was picked up and thrown down on his helmet. I'll never forget <laughs> that. Well, that, like would coach. that would have been me, probably. <laughs> no, is it, well, the other, the other team. Up. Were you the quarterback? Yeah. Okay, there was one where somebody actually couldn't play his senior year oh. because the senior, the, the final game, because he had a neck injury and they, oh. they didn't want to play him. I don't mm. remember. Maybe that was before Devin. Yeah, it was probably before Devin. I don't know. But Devin yeah. played some quarterback as well. I know he was hurt yeah. senior year, which, uh, yeah. you know, was No, wrong. but I, 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 didn't, I didn't see that game. It was that's weird. awesome. It was weird talking to Mike Murphy, you know, and the similarities between those two games, you know, 30 yes. something years apart. But uh, yes, memory lane's a special place. And uh, yeah, Rio Hondo Prep Football, Mike, is a, is a very special product. I got to watch Rio win in the Rose Bowl last week over Polly, eight to seven, a real barn burner. <laughs> That's and, right. I heard about that. I mean, as an alum all these years, you don't know the kids, you don't have any connections or anything, but it's still cool to hear real Hondo prep uh, winning ball games, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny that they haven't figured out to make a movie about it because it is really <laughs> amazing how they've been so successful over the years with guys that aren't recruited guys, some guys, you know, never played football or never played their position and somehow they all work together mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's really a great story. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you said it, you said it with Mr. Johnson and kind of what, what sums up a real team is kind of average guys or guys that, you know, are working together, no stars or anything, even though there's, there are some great players uh, kind of everyone carrying their weight. And yeah, it's real Hondo prep football is special and always will be uh, Mike. Let me ask you about life after high school. Uh, you sure. graduate high school and, uh, it sounds like you, you stuck around a little bit, kind of going on summer trips and stuff. Yeah, I, I went on 10 different summer trips, a couple girls trips. I drove the concession van, uh, the maintenance <laughs> van. Uh, those are fun times, except from the time I got lost and 
for 100 miles, drove the wrong way. <laughs> and uh, that was really bad because I drove the concession van. It was a girl's trip and they wanted their shakes. And I didn't get there till like midnight. But guess who was waiting for the shakes? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was those, those trips. Those trips were pretty fun. There was one where girls trips with lightning strikes right in the campground. And yeah, yeah. Janet you, know, and you know, what's funny is trying to explain summer trip. Um, oh, sorry. You cut out a little bit. No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, we're back. We're back. Okay. Sorry. These te technology issues. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about summer trips. It is the weirdest thing trying to explain them to non affiliated people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first trip I went on, we didn't have any performances. We played baseball. Mm. So we played baseball with groups all across the United States, and we would stay at their house. And that's how the summer trips started. And you would always vote on, as a group, where you wanted to go. Usually Washington, D.C. was one of the places and stuff like that. Uh, and then as time went on, that's when the play performances started kicking in. And, you know, I got to perform at the Pentagon. Uh, that was really fun. We did that a performance inside the Pentagon. And I remember now looking back, one of my characters had a knife that I was constantly flipping in the air and catching a real knife. And I thought, I wonder why no one tried to tackle me or arrest me. <laughs> you know, I'm right there in the center of the Pentagon in their little square where everybody eats lunch and I'm flipping this knife during the performance. And I'm thinking, you know, nowadays, I don't know if that would really fly too well. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. yeah. What are some of your other uh, trip memories? Sounds like you were involved in the performance arts arts quite a bit. Yeah. So I'll tell you a story. We had a lighting truss and this lighting truss was about 1500 pounds. It weighed a ton and we'd have a lot of people carrying them. One particular day, the lighting truss was up and the cable snapped and the lighting truss came down and we were all on the stage, all around that lighting truss. And there was one guy right in between. It landed just on either side of him, and there were people everywhere else and no one got touched by that lighting truss. It literally would have killed probably 10 or 15 people. Uh, another time, Byron Kandel was always messing around on the set when I was building it. And he said, McGarren, because we wear hard hats, he said, put your hard hat on. And he was up about two stories and he had a metal pipe. I want to say it's about five feet, probably weighed about 30 pounds. And just after I put my helmet on, he dropped it and it hit my helmet. And then hit my shoulder and partially dislocated my shoulder. Had I not had the helmet on, oh. I would have been killed instantly. This thing weighed quite a bit. So it was amazing on these trips, you know, some of the stuff near misses yeah. that occurred. And, you know, we put that set up like in two hours and it was a major thing. So it was a, it was a semi-truck trailer, the sides would roll down, there'd be rotating stages. And then these lighting poles would flip up and then the trusses would come up. And that was a performance. We literally put that thing up and down in a couple hours and sometimes just have it for one night. Yeah, I don't know how all that came about. Uh, it all came together all the time. And, and the trips I went on later, it was a lot yeah. more, not quite as extravagant as some of the other sets you guys had done, but still right. rolling, rolling into a campground, get out of the bus, like a little army, set up tents, set up the set, you know, eat, get your costumes on and, and just, you know, first of all, all these 
poor families would be terrified that there was a giant bus there and then to realize, oh, wait, these guys aren't so bad. They got a nice show they're putting on. And uh, it, was, it was amazing that CARE had been able to do that year after year for so long. Yeah, and, it, and it's free. You know, that's yeah. the other thing. People were like, what do we pay? Oh, no, it doesn't cost anything. What's wrong with you? What? What? <laughs> How is that possible? You know? So yeah, it was it was really fun, and, and I that's when I did the Abbott and Costello Susan first, and we had a guy named Tom Fowler who would get out of a straitjacket, and I would put on a jacket backwards, and have people tie it behind me, and I would try and race him as a joke while he was getting out of the regular straitjacket, and the the people would put a bit, and I remember one particular time there was a guy in the audience, and I told him I said. He goes, he goes, can I check the straight jacket? I go, do, yeah, do whatever you want. So the guy stepped on the arm of the straight jacket, pulled the other arm and ripped the straight jacket almost in half. And, it was ripped. and I'm like, oh no. And Mr. <laughs> Hampton got mad at me because he said, McGarren, he goes, that guy was drunk. Did you know that guy was drunk? I'm like, I'm 15. I don't even know what alcohol <laughs> smells like. How would I even know? And so, so he gets the jacket on it's already ripped to shreds and he gets out of it and they're like yay he got out of it you know because it was almost completely in half and of course they sewed it together but i mean i could just tell you so many different stories on the plays and the sets and stuff but oh yeah absolutely well you said you told me mr uh hampton was it was it him who told you hey you you need to uh you're gonna be ronald reagan or, or, a, or a voice actor yes. or something yeah he was the one that told me that the other thing he told me was i was playing in high school we played russian softball you ever play russian softball no what is don't because it broke my <laughs> collarbone so russian softball is you can hit the ball fair you run to third base instead of first base so yeah i don't know why they call it russian softball i i'm just telling you the story so anyway we're playing it they hit a ball. I'm running as fast as I can to catch it. Brian Kyle is running towards me. His face hits my collarbone Oof. and he breaks my collarbone with his face. I did catch the ball though. Yeah. So I'm trying to work out my arm. Why does it hurt so much? And I go to the doctor. He says, you broke your collarbone. You can't play. So I'm sitting on the bench during a baseball game. Mr. Hampton comes up and says, what's wrong with you? Oh, I broke my collarbone. He goes, well, aren't you the mama's boy? I can't believe you're not playing. Why aren't you playing? You shouldn't let a broken collarbone stop you. I'm like, okay. So I go home and I say, mom, I got to play. And she goes, what? I go, I got to play. Mr. Hampton says, I got to play. I'm a mama's boy. I can't be a mama's boy. So I go to the doctor and he goes, dude, he goes, you can play, but if you get hit, it's going to break right through the skin. And I'm like, well, I got to play. So he says, okay. So he made a pad. I taped it to my shoulder. I looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame. So I'm there playing in a game and I'm playing first base. Try moving your arm to catch balls as a first baseman with a broken collarbone. Oh. It's not fun. So I kept playing with the broken collarbone and I was batting like with my one hand because Mr. Hampton called me a mama's boy. True story. <laughs> I don't think you could do that today. A little different time. Probably yeah. there'd be some legal stuff. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's the way. If you could play, you played. That's just the way it was. 
No, absolutely. And uh, so was it kind of during these plays and everything where you learned to kind of put together different voices and things and kind of gain an interest to maybe go into some of those auditions and things you did later in life? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about doing acting when I got out of school because I, I knew that I could make people laugh. I could do different characters and stuff. And I was dissuaded from it. They said, you know, a lot of people don't make it as an actor and you can get into some unseemly things when you're young and impressionable. So I decided to pursue physical therapy. And by having that job, it enabled me to do on camera and voiceover work. So, but yet from a very early age, I was doing different accents. You know, I'd hear people talking and then I'd try and talk like them. And then, you know, I'd say an Irish person, I'd start like taking like an Irish person or a Scotsman. I talk like a sky person. And so I just kept playing with different accents and stuff and I really enjoyed it. And so voiceover was good because you're not restricted by how you look. Yeah. That that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I I definitely am more I enjoy radio more than visual uh, video stuff personally, but because it's it's creative and you and it's almost like your voice paints a picture as well, right? You are painting a canvas. Uh you mentioned the Irish there. Um you know, uh, you guys having the, the McGarren last name. Right. I, I've heard that St. Patrick's Day can be quite a scene at the Drain household. Uh, w- was it that way when you guys were growing up? Or are you and Maura just super proud of your Irish Yeah, students? Yeah, my dad would always fly the Irish flag on St. Patty's Day. <laughs> so, and my mom would make corned beef and cabbage, which I hated, <laughs> and Irish soda bread which I now like all of them uh, and, you know, the potatoes and everything. But yeah, my father would always sing, you know, who threw the overalls at Mrs. Murphy's chowder? Nobody knows, but they shouted all the louder. And he'd sing these Irish songs all the time. So my dad was also, he would do voices and stuff. And I get, maybe that's part of what made me get into that because he would tell stories and become these characters too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I will never forget uh, Ken Drain speaking in church and he wore a green so a sport coat and he goes you know i never thought much of saint patrick's day until i married into the mcgarren family and yeah. <laughs> just hearing yeah green pancakes all all that stuff so uh very true very funny stuff um well well what are some of the you kind of have your own little characters you've done but what are some characters maybe that um people know of that you kind of imitate or can can impersonate yeah i mean i i've done bullwinkle uh i did jim carrey's voice um you know bullwinkle's pretty easy you know to do hey rocky watch me pull a rabbit out of my head nothing up my sleeve presto you know it's pretty easy to do uh you, you know you just have to kind of keep practicing at it practicing at it but I mean, you know, Jim Carrey's voice, you just had to be really, really loud. You know, I did him like an Ace Ventura thing. All righty then. Really? You know, that kind of a thing. It was very high energy. Uh, so I did a couple of that stuff. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan, you know, was was pretty easy to do. I think we mentioned that. Or was that before we started? That was before we recorded. We got, I got to oh, hear okay. some President Reagan. So, yeah, that's a story where, where Mr. Hampton just said, you know, we need something for the pre-show. The pre-show is so we can get stuff ready. Uh, and in the pre-show, oh, which reminds me of another story, trip story. The pre-show, he says, I need you to do Ronald Reagan. I'm like, well, I, I never said I could do Ronald Reagan. I don't, I don't know how to, he goes, well, you're going to be doing it a week from today. So you're going to stand up there and do something. 
because that's what's happening. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, you don't say no to Mr. Hampton, right? <laughs> so, or, or anybody that's older than you, right? You got to do it. Jump off the lift. Okay, I'll jump off the cliff. So, so you know, I just got a recording of Ronald Reagan. So I just played it and played it. And I kept, what is the word that he keeps using that I might be able to at least start sounding like him? And the word that I kept hearing all the time was, well, 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 that's, that's a good question. And well, every time I got into trouble, I'd just go back to the well, and then I could get back on and in sync. And then you have the mannerisms, right? And well, that's just how the cookie crumbles. By the way, go to my library if you have time. You know, at my library, I always had fun. I give people books. They didn't know that I had checked them out. And in about 20 years, they'd owe about $50,000. And that would keep my library afloat. See, so I'm not as dumb as people think. Well, anyway, that's it, signing off. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's that kind of a thing where you just kind of, and I think most impression guys will do that. They'll find a, a, a word or a sound and they'll get back to that to stay in the character, but they also exacerbate it, right? Mm -hmm. Like Christopher Walken, you know, they exacerbates that, you know. Oh. So I don't know <laughs> why people are so interested in the way I talk. You know, it's, it's it's really making a caricature. It doesn't really sound like him, but it kind of sounds like him. So you know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You pick a a trait really and run with it. Yeah. So what when you said you were uh, Jim Carrey? Did did were you like? imitating these people as part of a show or so it was a voiceover audition and my agent called me uh sandy schnard talent i don't even know if they're around anymore but she said uh we have an audition for a jim carrey character and i signed you up i'm like it's happening again i don't know how to do jim carrey why are people asking me to do stuff i don't know how to do <laughs> and so i just practiced it practiced it and i booked it okay and i worked it and it's such a high level character that I, I lost my voice because we would record forever. And then, you know, I did the, I did the, the, the game. And then she said, they want you back. And I'm saying, look, man, I, I lose my voice every time I do this. And I go, you need to get double for me or else I, I'm not, I can't, it's so physically demanding. And so she was able to, so I actually did two. Uh, of those games with Jim Carrey and then I got the voice for Ken and Ken and Barbie so I did that for a year uh whoa Ken whoa Barbie, whoa so, what, what, what yeah. like a, a cartoon or something what, what do you mean yeah it was uh there was a detective Barbie series I did a uh a Target commercial it was a Ken and Barbie Target commercial but I did the voice of Ken for a year and then they ended up choosing a, an Australian Ken and so I got, I got dumped, but basically they just heard my voice and they, they had me do the character. <laughs> so I did him for a while. It's like, Hey Barbie, you know, so we did like a target commercial. Hey Ken, why doesn't you. Oh, did our audio freeze. Off each other, but it was really fun. I got to go to Mattel studios and, you know, they have so many different Barbies and Ken's and heads of different Barbies and Ken's. There. So it was really <laughs> kind of neat to go down there. That is. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of fun. That is really cool. So you were you, you were doing this while in the process of becoming a physical therapist? Um, yes and yeah. Yeah, I did it in kind of conject, conjunction with that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I started doing on camera and then I booked a Baskin Robbins ice cream commercial 
and then somebody signed me up to also do voiceover. So that's when I did both. Okay. And then where did stand-up comedy come into play? Just time. Uh, that of- came in kind of in the same time frame. I was I was doing that just just to do it. And it's kind of I remember one of the last times I performed was at the Santa Monica Improv. And I got when you're when you're upcoming, they actually say, okay, you need to show up at 4 30 in the afternoon and you need to wait outside, get a chair, and we'll let you in when we let everybody else in around eight o'clock. And so I sat out there from 4.30 to like eight o'clock. They have everyone do their stuff. I was the last one in at like 1.30 in the morning. The only people left were like three girls that were too drunk to get out of the club. And I did my five minutes. That's when I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just let this go. Because <laughs> there's so it's so hard to break in mm. to something like that. And they give you five minutes and that's you. it's make or break. And it's pretty cutthroat and not easy. So can I ask you what, in in your experience, what is it that takes that, you know, the big names of today or the past, what, what takes them to the next level? Is it some of them are just so much more talented than others, or is it, they got a few more breaks along the way during the process? (laughs) It's it's really a combination of both. Jay Leno. I remember I went to a guy, he says, you don't look funny. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the, the guy says, I don't, I don't think you don't look funny. I don't think you're funny. And, and this happened to Jay Leno. Jay Leno went to a guy and he says, look, dude, you know, you do not want to do acting. You got this big jaw. You just look weird. You're not funny. You're never going to make it. And what he did was he went to coffee shop after coffee shop after coffee shop and did stand up. He, he was traveling 300 and some days a year, going from place to place to place to place, working on his craft. It's a combination of just being so driven to just never stop, but you got to back it up with talent. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I went to a casting place and there was this actor, I won't mention his name. And they're like, he's like, what do I have to do to get a major role? And the answer of the casting person was, everybody knows you. Everybody knows what you can do. Basically saying, you're a one-trick pony, you are who you are, you bring nothing special, and that's just it. So it's a combination. you got to be driven, but you also have to have that, that innate talent that makes you uh, special. Mm-hmm. It is interesting in, in kind of the entertainment world that some people crave this, this spotlight and being the leading role or being a headliner, where whereas it seems like they're there's a career there for people that are just kind of that second tier or, you know, the, the, uh, the co-headliners or the people that just kind of are content with where they're at. And, and again, knowing uh, what you have to offer. Right. And, and, you know, when I did voiceover, if you got one job out of 25, that was considered above average mm. and on camera, it's even less. And when I extrapolated all the work I did, I was making about 10 bucks an hour. If you talk about driving auditions and everything, and so it's really hard. What's, what's interesting is people that are in this profession are very insecure. So oh. here you are as an actor, actress, most are insecure and they choose a profession where they're rejected more than they're accepted. And that's really interesting to me. That is, yeah. Oh, oh what a business. What a, what a, 
what a job and a life. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 10% of those in the union actually make a living at it. And this is when I figured out the statistics like 20 years ago, it's even less now because back in the day, big actors wouldn't do voiceover or animation. It was beneath them. Now they're doing it, which mm-hmm. means all the other people that used to do that now don't have that chance. Yeah. Oh man. I could talk about that stuff forever. That I is know, I know. really I know. cool stuff. Well, um, man, I'm sure you had some great times, some great stories indeed. Uh, uh, you know, I trying to think if it was after all that or before all that, whenever it was, you know, the first time I saw you uh, in person, Mike was as the MC, the master of ceremonies for the care youth league circus. I mean, how long did you do that? Did you enjoy doing that? Uh, what was that experience like for you? I, I did it about, I want to say about eight years pretty much. I had a couple years off. Um, the first, the way I got it was there was an MC that they had that, that was drunk and <laughs> it was a kid's circus. And they're like, that's probably not what we want to go with. And so we need to get rid of this guy and find someone else. And they were discussing it. And I was in RHLA. I just finished high school and they said, Oh, you know, Michael's kind of funny. Oh, how many want Michael to MC the circus? I'm like, wait, wow, what? <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm with the microphone. I'm seeing a circus. Oh boy. So, you know, <laughs> we did some crazy stuff. Um, I can you see okay? It's getting dark. Is that yeah, all right? it's a little dark? It's fine. All right. So one of the first things we did, and I don't know if you know who Greg Loomis was, mm-hmm. but one of the things as an MC, I'm like, you know what we should do? Why don't we make a big metal ring, wrap cotton around it, and we'll get we'll get uh, printer fluid from the print shop, and Greg. You spray it on this thing, light it on fire, and I'll jump through it. <laughs> How hard can that be? <laughs> so, I mean, I got to do something. Yeah. I mean, I can't just, you know, I got to MC, right? So Greg Loomis lights it. He was too close. His eyebrows were singed off. I didn't know it. He almost couldn't see. His eyelids, <laughs> eyelashes were also singed off. I jumped through and I clear it and we did it several times because it was like four differences. And that was one of the first circuses I ever did. And I would stress out the night before trying to figure out how am I going to say it? What am I going to do? And I literally didn't know what the acts were until the day of the circus. And maybe two hours before I had to interview the acts, find out what they were doing, find out when I should say something, when I shouldn't say something. So I had notes to go by based on what they were telling me, but I had my own shtick. It was just very nerve wracking. And then I'd have to ad lib a big portion of it. And so it was stressful, but you know, I enjoyed it once I got going. And by the fourth show, everything was just gelling, you know, but it's, it's those first shows. It's like, Oh man, what's next? You know? Two, sh- two shows on Friday, four on Saturday. There I'm you sure go. We, we all remember those time frames. And, yep. Oh, yep. Go, clean, go clean the bleachers again. Like <laughs> I remember one of my first circuses, I was a clown. They go, hey, we need someone to be a clown. So me and Phil Horton were dressed up as clowns. And so there was an elephant walking by. And this elephant, I don't know, somehow had an allergy. You have not lived until you've been sneezed on by an elephant. This <laughs> elephant sneezed on, first, I don't want to be a clown. And then an elephant sneezes on me and Phil Horton. I mean, literally, you ever have a mist of it, like a shower or a mister? That's exactly what it was. And I had to sit there with that on me for the rest of the day, being a clown, which I didn't want to be in the first place. And some of the original circuses, they had animals. 
So the guy said, okay, what I want you to do, and he's off mic. He goes, I want you to lay down. I'm going to have this tiger lay on your chest, but don't move. Don't show fear. Cause then he'll, he'll eat you, you know, he'll like bite you. And so, but just relax. Okay. okay sure. And then we did one with, I don't know, Clint Eastwood anyway, but loose, there was an orangutan in one of his movies and he was in the circus, the orangutan. And so I did, I did a, a routine with the orangutan and the guy says, just so you know, this orangutan is like three to five times stronger than a man. He can rip your arms off. So <laughs> don't do anything to get him upset. I'm like, I don't even, how would I even know what I'm doing to get orangutan upset, you know? But that was, that was another circus moment. <laughs> yeah. I, one of my first circus memories was, and I hadn't really met the drain family yet, but it was at PCC and wasn't there, it was like a bull or some, someone got loose. And uh, I think your niece, Tawny, got uh, bumped by a, a bull or so, I can't remember the, the. That could very well be. Yeah. It, it's that been a long well time, be. I know. But yeah. yeah, Devin told me that story. I was like, what? <laughs> a yeah. bull got yeah. loose or something or other. Uh, anyway, uh, fun memories. What? Any other acts that stuck out from circuses that you were part of? Um. No, I mean, all of them were, were really unique and different um i remember there being a guy with a whip and he had me have a piece of paper and hold it between my lips and he was had the whip like like, like 20 feet away and was gonna knock it out of my mouth <laughs> and fortunately I, I i didn't lose a lip but that's a little tense you know yeah. and there was guys uh, there was a sword guy who was throwing swords and so it was uh you know he was doing stuff right close to me and i had to stand there and not move I don't think I had insurance then either. <laughs> All these apps. Really, I never thought that through a lot yeah, of this stuff that we of did. Of course. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. very uh, Carrie Youth League. I'll just get it yes, done. It just get it done. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone survived. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, you got a lot of survival stories. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, well, Mike, uh, at what point uh, you told me that during uh, your career in physical therapy and you've done all these great things and then kind of, I, I think later in life for, for most guys who go into this field, uh, you decide to um, get involved in law enforcement and, and what, yeah. how did that all come about? So I was doing karate with my son. I thought it'd be a good thing for him. So when he was five, uh, we joined a Kempo studio. Tommy Chavis uh, was a guy. In fact, he was the one that actually learned by uh, Ed Parker, who taught Elvis Presley and gave Elvis Presley his black belt. So Elvis Presley, if you look at his guitar, you'll see a Kempo crest. But Tommy Chavez, who was my instructor, uh, was taught by Ed Parker. So he, I, Dylan and I took karate and we made it to third brown. And then I met a guy named Dr. Yamani, who has a third degree, who's a black belt in judo, but also a black belt in Kempo karate. And we got to talk and he goes, I'm a, a reserve officer. And I'm like, well, how old are you? He goes, I'm like six months younger than you, Michael. And I'm like, well, I'm 50, like 50 and a half. And I go, aren't you too old? And he goes, no, you just got to be able to run six miles and you have to be able to like fight people and drag a body like a hundred feet and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, he goes, you're in good shape. And I'm like, well, gee, how hard could it be? <laughs> I bet that's pretty simple. So, so I applied for Pasadena, went through background checks, went through, uh, went through a lie detector. Um, they asked all my family members about me and all that stuff. And me and two other guys, Colt, a guy named Rocky and myself were accepted for the Pasadena police department. And they did training at the Bisclue center in the sheriff's Academy in East LA. 
And so it's a, a 42 week program. There's a there's three levels of reserve officer. And I went through all three levels uh, and it was usually Mondays and Wednesdays and Sundays from about Mondays and Wednesdays from around 4.30 in the afternoon to one in the morning. Sundays, it was pretty much like seven in the morning to like four in the afternoon and then most Saturdays at the range. So this is for 42 weeks. And so this is where I, you know, we would run six miles, we would fight deputies, we would jump over chain link fences. Uh, I got to go to the gas house where they give you CS gas. You have to go to the gas house, take the mask off, put it back on. Uh, and then after that, we were pepper sprayed the same day, which was really a joy. Wow. Where, uh, and then, you know, and then when I got to the police department, I got tased by a taser. That's volunteer with Pasadena. And that's a story in itself. So uh, I uh, didn't want to do it, but I had to know. So I had a friend, Colt, and he says, Mike, he goes, listen, if you don't want to do it, I'll back you up because that's what friends do. And I'm like, Colt, I got to do it. He goes, no, you don't. You don't have to do it. You don't have to get shot to know it hurts. And I'm like, no, I got to do it. He goes, great. So, so he gets tased and, he's, and he gets tased before me. So they do the taser, which is these prongs. And then they do what's called a dry stun where they take the, they dislocate it and they use the dry stun. And he got twice. And then uh, I got it after him. So it was uh, quite an interesting experience. But yeah, I met some great people in Pasadena Police Department. Fine, fine department. Really great officers. So, so forgive me for not knowing or comprehending. So you said is as a reserve, right? Yes. There, yes. So why is it that uh, police departments need reserves? Is it just in case things get bad or there's guys on vacation or whatever? Or what's the deal there? So reserves are just people that uh, basically for free. So I was to patrol two days a week, which are usually a two, two days a month, which are usually like a full shifts, like or 12 hour shifts. And you do that for free. And then you do all your training, your range, basically everything you're doing for free. The only thing you get paid for, which I chose to do, was to work the Rose Bowl and uh, the Rose Parade. So New Year's, you were expected to work. Uh, Rose Bowl, you're expected to work. And they had uh, the Baker to Vegas run that a lot of cops would do. And we would help, uh, you know, with some staffing if they needed it. So that's basically what reserve officers are, are things that are, you know, basically they don't get paid to kind of help, you know, dispel the work on the officers. So you basically, you know, do whatever you can to help out. And gotcha. you're basically an officer. Your liabilities are the same. Your responsibilities are the same. Uh, in appearance, you don't look different, but obviously you, you don't have as much time in as the regular officer, right? So, Like being an uh, RHLA all over again, man. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. Yeah, because one of the guys said, you know, in the academy, they're going to really yell at you and try and tear you down and make you quit. And he goes, you might not like that because you're older and you might not want people to tell you what to do. And I'm saying, hey, man, I'm married. So <laughs> bring it because I'm already having that happen to me now. <laughs> so, you know, they'd be yelling at you. Hurry up, Gary, you're going too slow, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, whatever, you know, in my mind. Of course, I wasn't doing that when they were talking to me. But the first week I became class sergeant. Class sergeant means you're in charge. You tell the recruits what to do. The deputies make you do everything. And I did not know what I was doing. 
and I volunteered and I do not remember doing that. But apparently I did. So for the first day I was yelled at until the DI lost his voice. And I didn't know at the time because I was older, I trained really hard and I didn't know I had double pneumonia. So one of the things we had to do is you had to run a mile and a half, a 500 yard dash. You had to do push-ups, sit-ups and pull-ups. And I had double pneumonia and on the mile and a half, I was literally, people were walking faster than me and I didn't know what was going wrong. I just about dropped. And the next couple of days I was coughing up blood. And I, they came up to me and said, do you want to stop? And I'm like, no, I'm class sergeant. I can't stop. Cause if I did, I'd never hear the end of it. I just didn't know how bad I was, but literally um, there was, you know, I had to bust through that and I couldn't run for like a month. I had to, I had to back off, but I didn't quit the Academy. I stuck it out. There was actually a couple other guys that had broken bones and worked through it. Mm. Uh, so it was one, it was a, it was a high stress Academy. Yeah. Really high stress. Man. Uh, what a, what a life you've lived there, Mike. You got uh, <laughs> physical therapy, you got stand-up comedy voiceovers, uh, to top it all off, you said, oh, let me, I, I got some spare time. Let me be a reserve police officer too. So, uh, wow. Uh, did I miss fun. anything there? I mean, <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I did that for six years. The other thing I had a chance was to hike Whitney. So I did that when I was 50. That was really fun with a, with a couple guys. And it was something I had a chance to do when I was 20 and I missed the opportunity. I didn't take advantage of it and it came by again. And I decided to do that. Got a pilot's license, which I did, which was really fun out of Piper Cherokee, out of Almani that I flew for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I think what what people should do is when you have an opportunity, take it, mm-hmm. you know, because it may not come around again and love what you do and enjoy life. I love my life. I love what I do. 32 years as a therapist, I still love it. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think I'm blessed because a lot of people have jobs to help their family and it's not a job they like or enjoy. To me, I admire that person that is willing to go through that to give their family something. I'm just really blessed that I have a job that I really love and enjoy. I'm really a lucky person. Hmm. Amen. You know, I've had that. my share of issues, but you know, but I, I love what I do. I had back surgery when I was 24, and wow. uh, and I and I keep exercising. And the thing is, that's the key. Don't let anything that happened to you keep you down. You know. Hmm. Well. Uh, kind of with that that thought, kind of as we towards our closing here, uh, I got to ask you about the Drain family. You know, I, sure. I have affiliation with them, uh, good friends with Devin Drain. Yeah. I played for Ken Drain. I had the yep. opportunity to coach uh, Devin, uh, Dave and Ed. Uh, I don't know Colleen well, well, but uh, Tawny was one year below me in school. I mean, yes. uh, nothing but love and respect for the Drain family. And uh, I just wanted to ask you, you know, you kind of talked about little bit about adversity there i mean they're a family that's gone through so much over the years i I can't speak enough about what ed you know the journey uh, ed and tawny have gone through and very inspiring stuff but i mean what are your thoughts on uh the drain family you talked about your sister mara already right uh you know ken drain brought that sounds weird brother-in-law ken drain uh that's yes (laughs) anyway yeah you know ken's a very quiet guy and so when he talks, it's probably a good idea to listen to what he has to say because he's not a uh, conversationalist that much. Mara is the most energetic person. Her girls that she coaches love her. She's always coming up with ideas. You know, it's funny. She has five kids, 
you'd swear they all had different parents. They're just so different <laughs> from You're one right. another. You know, it's just, it's just really interesting. You know, Devin, unfortunately, he was the first uh, stunt baby for me. So I put that boy through some stuff. So I never forget, I got a lemon off of the tree and I'm like, Devin, and he's like, you know, he couldn't even talk. I go, look at this, this is really good. I remember, <laughs> I remember him sucking on this lemon and just watching the transformation of his face. First, it's like, I trust my uncle. I love him. He's going to give me something so sweet and wonderful. And then he tastes it and you can see in his face going, what just happened? What? <laughs> I trusted you. You give this to me. And he's just bewildered, not sure what to do. And so he was the, you know, the first, the first one that I got to babysit. And I guess because I didn't hurt him physically in any way, or he didn't break something. My sister just kept having me come over to babysit him as they came, you know, her, her shtick was, Hey, just so you know, they've all been fed and they all need to be changed. Bye. And she'd take off. And I'd be like, what? So I learned to change a diaper like NASCAR, you know? So, so when my son came along, yeah, I could do it in a coma. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> but yeah, all the kids were fun. Uh, David was just a really, he has his own way of doing things. He just has his own, he's in his own place, does his own kind of thing. I remember one time we were watching a football game and he had a pencil and he just threw it on the football field right during the game. David. <laughs> He was young. What, what are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> Just throwing on the field. And uh, Tani was a screamer. Okay. Tani, when I, when I would babysit her, sometimes she'd have these moods. I, I, I guess screaming Banshee comes to mind. Uh, she would just let loose until her face was as red as the flag behind you. Um, she's gotten out of that, but you know, she's had some, some issues. She's my inspiration. I'm just Tawny is amazing how the things she's had to do and, and gone through yeah. um, and Eddie too. And, and even Devin and um, Dave to have to, to see this happen to their brother and sister and not be able to fix it. You know, it's just, it, they've been through such a roller coaster when Eddie came down with leukemia I remember visiting him at the hospital and, you know, giving blood and trying to give plasma, which I, I wasn't able to do. And just going there and seeing the families that were dealing with this, you know, I think, I think one of the things, and this is something, this is my opinion, uh, Colt, who I was in the police academy with, he, his father died of the effects of Agent Orange in Vietnam. And one of the little known things is a lot of the effects of it the offspring of the soldiers uh, have leukemia, cancers. A lot of the soldiers are coming down with cancers and dying. And this is something that if I can put a plug in, it's called Expedition Orange, where they're trying to raise awareness of the Vietnam veterans who were impacted by the effects of Agent Orange. Uh, Colt Romberger, his dad died uh, young. Uh, from the effects of Agent Orange with Parkinson's-like symptoms. And he's actually riding horse from Santa Monica to the Vietnam Wall. Um, he's going on a ride coming up this summer and, uh, and uh, where he has his dad's ashes with him. And he's getting groups to ride with him to eventually get to the Vietnam Wall. And so I, 
I can't help but think some of what's happened to the Drain family may be a result of Ken's little stint when he was in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I can't say for sure, but as I learn from Colt and the people and vets he talks to, uh, many of them are dealing with these physical ailments. And so I think that kind of takes us full circle with the drains and, and, and what they've had to deal with. Definitely, definitely a special group of people. Uh, nothing yeah. but love, uh, great, great people, great family. And, uh, you know, for me, it was, again, Devin was the oldest, so I was in his class and it was always yes. weird, weird for us. You know, it was like, man, Mr. Drain is your dad. This is like, this is Coach Drain. <laughs> this is really weird that, hey, and, and he never called him dad and he never called him Mr. Drain in front of us. He always called him, hey, and he, Mr. Drain, because really? we always wondered what's, what's Devin going to call Mr. Drain when we get to Barcelona? Yeah, he was just yeah. like, hey, let me just turn and it's just so. And, and just a question for you, uh, because I coached my son, I think Ken was pretty tough on his boys that he coached. Was he not? Yeah, I would say that's that's true. That's a very true statement. I, you know, you know, when I coach, I coach little league for my son and and ba and ba basketball, and I would see two types of coaches: coaches that would let their kids literally run roughshod over everybody. I remember one kid was swinging a bat around, and the and the coach wasn't saying a thing. And then you have people that tend to be too hard on their kids mm -hmm. because they don't want to be that coach that lets their kid get away with everything. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I, I know for me, that's what it was with my son. I actually yelled at him in the game and I actually had to apologize to him and the parents because I, I didn't want to be that nice dad coach. Yeah. And I actually treated him harder than I should have. And, you know, it's funny. I, I tell my son, I go, look, I've never been a dad before. You've never been a son before. We're going to screw this up. Oh, I that's go, great. Hopefully, hopefully you'll be a better dad than me. And I think I'm a better dad than my dad. And so that's what we want, right? If we can make our generations better than what we had and how we were, what a great thing. Mm. I, absolutely. That's very well said, Mike. And the biggest difference between uh, Devin and Mr. Drain and us and Mr. Drain, uh, the rest of us, the teammates, is that uh, we wouldn't really talk back to Mr. Drain. Devin would. Devin would. And that's what uh. <laughs> so that was the most unique. You're like, what are you that's doing? a little tense moment right there. Yeah. Like, we're right in the middle of a family thing. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, that, yeah, that, what, yeah. Okay. Can you guys sort this out later? What play do we need to run here? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> man, you're brave. Oh, yeah. You live with the guy. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you got to go home with him. Yeah. Oh, the, the great stuff. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time and sharing so many stories and memories. And uh, I, I we, we could talk for hours. You and I yeah. have never really talked before. So this is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's really nice to get to know you. I really appreciate your time and willingness to talk to me. And uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Oh, you got it, Mike. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you around somewhere, someplace. But uh, yeah. yeah, happy belated uh, St. Patrick's Day to you. <laughs> oh, save to you, sir. And the rest <laughs> of your family and kin. Take care, Mike. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the get home safe podcast 
Anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like Apple, Spotify, Google, and many more. We also have a YouTube channel that is brand new for us. Not a whole lot of content on there yet, but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in going forward, as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time. So lots of options out there, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, offer uh, some suggestions or content uh, topics, or uh, just ask us some random questions. We always appreciate that. I know Bill Barnes does, especially on Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.